Golf Podcast, presented by Golficity, where we bring you the tips, instruction, and support you need to get the most out of your golf game. And now your hosts, Frank and Mike. Hey guys, welcome back to the Golf Podcast. This is episode number 321. As you can see, we're still home. Actually, Mike is in HQ today, but he's the only one there. Yeah, I'm sitting in a dark HQ. Sad. <laughs> It's did, sad, but it's going to come in every the, now and then. Did you even put the lights on? I mean, it looks I, pretty dark there. I didn't put the overheads. I wanted to go back to the way it was just to try to feel some bit of normal. Yeah. So I have all of the podcast lights on in the dark, the same way that you and I record, except I'm just missing my wingman on the left side of me, but you're coming through the screen. So we're almost there. I'll tell you what, dude, I can't wait to get back in there and, and things are slowly opening up. Uh, it's been great. We've been seeing a lot of messages from you guys, DM stuff in the, in the Facebook group talking about some of the golf courses that are open. I know some people were posting pictures. Uh, Ohio was a big one. I know they've been open, Mike. Um, so it's good to see that we just actually got the news that Jersey golf courses as of this recording are going to start to be reopened this what Saturday, right? Saturday. Yeah. So the announcement should be coming today. Just came across, uh, my phone via text from a buddy of mine who lives here in town, who's a a fellow fan of the show and golfer. And he, uh, he just shot me a note and said, stay tuned for an announcement today about Jersey reopening. So which is there. We are. And it's, a slow reopen it's it's definitely a slow and steady there are still lots of rules if anybody who has played in these areas especially new york has been reopened or, or somewhat the some of the golf courses have been reopened for the last week or so uh with very strict restrictions a lot of them it's twosomes or max and then there's about a 15 minute spacing between everybody uh also a lot of things with like the way you pay and the way you go into the the clubhouse it's, it's been very strict uh but it's good to see it's happening um, good to see the weather starting to come back around too, Mike. I mean, it's yeah, been cold. It's, it, let's just legit, cold. let's say it. I mean, we had a frost warning. It's it, it's <laughs> going to be May in two days, and we had a frost warning this week. It's ridiculous. But good news is that you and I are starting to make some connections with some local courses. Uh, we're talking about getting back out there, you and I, in a safe way and playing some golf together and, and filming it. So uh, that's exciting news. It really is. And I tell you what, like I said, I can't wait to get back out there, but we don't want to rush things. We've got to do things mm-hmm. the right way. There's still going to be plenty of golf to be had. We're going to be coming back with a lot of the uh, meetups that we wanted to do, but it's all got to be done the right way. So stay tuned for that. You guys can stay tuned to our social channels. I know you know we had to push that Philly meetup off, but like I said, I, I know it's going to happen. Um, speaking of the kind of the Golficity Army too, Mike, there's something in the Golficity group that caught my eye this week. I wanted to to shout that out. So we'll get to that in a second um, because I always like seeing when different milestones are hit. And this is a pretty great milestone from one of the uh, the Golficity Army. So I want to dive into that. We also, of course, want to thank our sponsor. As always, this episode is sponsored by Titleist. As you guys know, I fell in love with the AVX golf ball when it dropped a few years ago, um, but they've made even more improvements since then. And when we were down at the uh, PGA show in January, before all of this went down with the coronavirus. Uh, we got the the new 2020 AVX. We got that put in our hands. And I was all amped, all excited to get out there and play it. And then, of course, what and happens, that, everything mm-hmm. shuts down. But I've got them. They're sitting there, like, r- literally in the garage, right next to my car, ready to go when we get to get a chance to get out there. And I can't wait to test them again. I've been having great performance with the Pro V1. Uh, but 
I love that soft feel of the, the AVX, so I'm looking forward to trying it. We got a chance to chat with Frederick Waddell, uh, who you guys have seen on some of our videos. He's with Titleist. Uh, we dove in a little bit more about what's different with the new golf ball. He said they've been redesigned with a larger core and a thinner cover, so you're getting more speed, more green, green side spinning control. So who's this for? If you are somebody who are looking for a premium golf ball, something of the caliber of the Pro V1 and the Pro V1X, but you like that slightly softer feel, this is the one you got to try. So try out the 2020 AVX, buy a sleeve, give it a look. It's advanced technology. It's going to help your game. You can find out more details too about it, about the new AVX by going to Titleist.com. I encourage you guys to check that out. It's always worth a try. Uh, like I said, these, these golf balls, they, they make these little improvements and then bang, something might stick and might work for you. Um, before we jump into the Twitter tap in, Mike, and just bear with me for a half a second here, I want to pull up something that, like I said, it caught my eye in the uh, the Facebook group. And if you guys aren't already part of our Facebook group, it is free. It's uh, you just go to to um, jump onto Facebook, just search search you know the golf podcast. Uh, you'll see us search golficity. Um, but We're closing in on another milestone there, by the way. We're what's that? Three thousand three thousand members. Wow. I think it's like 2,900 and change, but uh, it's been amazing growth and I love all the new faces and all the new comments. So thank you. Yes. Everyone is welcome. Like you said, Frank, free hop in. But sorry and to ev- cut you off. Everything that this group has become is attributed to you guys. You guys have made this a terrific group. It's an incredibly supportive group. It's a fun group to be a part of. You know, nothing too heavy, just in there talking golf game, sharing some milestones, sharing some funny stuff every once in a while, some failures, whatever it may be. It's been great. So this caught my eye. Um, Brandon uh, Slater. Uh, he said, I broke 80 for the first time and I've done it twice this month, shooting 78 at two different golf courses. His next goal is to shoot par. And I thought, you know, that's terrific. Like, first of all, yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it's a huge milestone and, and to do it on two different golf courses, it shows the, um, it shows the consistency that he's built there. So I had to send him a little message in the comments and I said, you know, that's awesome. You know, what would you attribute it to? Cause let's, let's try to learn from this, you know, because all of us kind of want to not only just, just hit our milestones once, but, but mm. have it happening on a regular basis. So I said, you know, what was it? Be- practice, better course management. What was it? And he said something that was, you know, really, you know, enlightening. He said, I've been practicing short game just about every day. Course management has also been a big help. I've been able to sink more of the eight to 10 footers. Um, he said also, interesting, keeping a level ahead. He said, Saturday, I shot a 78 and had a quadruple bogey on the back nine. Wow. So how many of us, you know, if we're being honest, would be completely derailed by that quadruple bogey? I mean, yeah. it would happen. And, and I think that's a big part of what holds a lot of us back is that it happens. And then we think, well, this round is shot. We start thinking about what, you know, a score and whatever else it may be. Um, and then that kind of all goes out the window. So we're going to talk more about course management, you know, in upcoming episodes. I want to dive into even more of the stuff that you and I have learned. Um, and, and just one big thing that keeps coming up is just like treat every whole as its own thing. Like there's, there's no, there's no, nothing you can do to quote, make up for a bad score. That bad score is there. It happened. You got to stick with your game plan and you got to just kind of like take each hole one hole at a time rather than 
getting away from your game plan, getting overly aggressive on the next hole because now you're trying to make up for it. I had a quadruple bogey, so now I have to make birdie on this hole. And you end up doing something that you, did, you didn't have normally planned. And mm-hmm. then what happens mm-hmm. is it's a disaster and it gets worse. So I thought that was incredible insight. I appreciate Brandon. I appreciate you sharing that in the group. It got a great conversation going there as well. Um, <clears throat> and I think there's something we can all learn from it. Yeah, big time, man. Play 18 rounds instead of one. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One. 18 you little know, rounds. Holes, it's yeah. own little round. Absolutely. Well, there's so it, much to that, to this idea. And the, and this is what you see the pros do, right? They, they have a game plan of every shot they're going to play before they even go out there. And usually when the wheels come off, it's when they get away from that game plan for one or another. And when you hear those post round interviews, you hear them say like, I, I made a game plan and I stuck with it. And that's what, or when things go wrong, you hear them say the other, you hear them say like, yeah, I got away from my game plan there. So mm-hmm. I think that that's something that we as amateur golfers can learn from too and, and try to try to improve a bit. Big so, time. Big so, time. Good stuff. So what do you think? You want to dive into our Twitter tapping before we talk about today's uh, instruction topic? Up, yeah, I love this segment. I'm pulling up Twitter right now. It's funny on the right column. You see what's trending on Twitter? Hysterical, by the way. Hashtag extend the lockdown and right below it, trending right below it, Elon Musk, free America, free America now. <laughs> oh my God. So it's crazy. Everyone's thoughts are, but we're not talking about that. We're talking golf. So this week, Frank, we put out there. Who is your early pick to win the U.S. Open this year? Now, they moved it to September, as you may or may not know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully we still get a chance to go, Frank, because it's in our backyard over here at Wingfoot in Westchester, New York. Uh, and I love what's what's coming in because there's a lot of uh, – it, it's a lot of diversity between the names here. It's not just a, a one person. We're seeing uh, – I'll, I'll just kick it off. Casey loves golf. Uh, Ricky Fowler, he's due. And I agree with that. Ricky's due for that major, you know, because uh, – you know, he's the guy that everyone kind of roots for. He's the guy with probably one of the best personalities. He's the coolest guy on tour. Uh, he's a PGA Tour winner. He's a Ryder Cup guy. He's a President's Cup guy. He's done it all but the major. So, Casey, I do agree with you there. Yeah, and I saw here Max Ross says something that kind of becomes a theme really quick. He said, I'm going JT or Kepka. Both are grinders and have the mental toughness to win at Wingfoot, which is true. Both have yeah. proven they can win. Both have proven that they can win uh, in really big name events, obviously. Um, and I think we'll see those a lot, JT and Kepka. Now, remember, all of this is kind of like way in the future. A lot can change. You know, we're talking how many months out, six months out. I mean, even injuries can happen and things can come and go. Who knows? Less than we think, right? Five more, four months, right? Where is are we it, now? We're in the fifth month this weekend and it's it's in the September. Where? So four months. Yeah. yeah okay. So four yeah, months. But you're away. absolutely right. A lot can happen. Absolutely. A lot can change. But uh, Max then goes on to say, that, uh, either way, Tiger Woods is who I'll be rooting for as always. Um, which is funny, but, but yeah. yeah, and we're looking at come September, you're looking at a very grueling um, kind of major schedule because there's, you know, all the majors are kind of smashed around that time. And then we back up, I think the Ryder Cup is the week after, I believe, the, uh, the US Open. So it's that's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. So it's going to be tough. But, but both these guys, yes, they, they've got the chops to win, they've got the game to win there. Um, I think a lot of what's going to happen at Wingfoot, it's going to come down to as with most majors, it's going to come down to putting and who's really gets hot there. Uh, but that's those were interesting choices as well. You know, it's funny. Uh, by the way, that schedule ridiculous because it's going to be really, really strange to see all of Europe and U.S. come together and play a Ryder Cup, and then a month and a half later, everyone kind of coming back together for the Masters. Yeah. You know, it's going to be the same faces because it's the best names in golf. So we're going to see the same Ryder Cup uh, players over at Augusta and and whatever. But 
The one thing, Frank, on this Twitter tap in that surprised me, a name that I did not see was Phil. Hmm. And now we look back, 2006, Wingfoot, Phil had the chance to win it. Of course, Phil will get it. If he gets a U.S. Open, he completes the career Grand Slam. Right. You know, it's the and one. And that's where the disaster happened, isn't it? That's where the disaster happened. So just, you know, I had to go back and fact check a little bit because it was 2006. And Phil, he all he had to do on 18 was make par and he would have won the U.S. Open. But he, I think he shanked it off of like something, uh, some type of a um, – uh, some type of uh, a tent or something over there on, on the left side of the fairway. He struggled. He said, um, he said, a major turn into the old Phil with stubborn, reckless attempt to get himself out of that jam. Uh, if he would have went on to make par, he would have won, but instead he made a double bogey and Jeff Ogilvy then went on to win. And he was the first Australian to win the title in 25 years. And then Phil was quoted. He said, I'm still in shock that I did that. I just can't believe that I did that. Then he wanted to say, I am such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, in quotes. And right you know there, what? Yeah. It goes back to our conversation before about game plan and getting away from it. And it makes me wonder, and I'm sure there's an interview out there somewhere because Phil, if nothing else, is he's terrific about being honest and giving you his insight into what happened in situations uh, after the fact. He's very open about those types of things. But it makes me wonder if he had on his mind that all I have to do is make par here and somehow changed his um, strategy and his approach. Uh, even if it was just so much as, as changing his tee shot from what he had been doing the rest of the week that caused that initial derailment. Um, either way, who knows? But look, everybody knows, and I think everyone agrees that Phil has, has been terrific for the game. He's a great personality. He's a, he's a lovable guy. I think everyone would love to see him win it. Um, I just don't know. As we look through some of these tweets, uh, you look at the strength of field and I, I don't know if he's he's got I know I, he's in great shape he's in some of the best shape he's ever been in he's hitting bombs as he says uh, but he is he's what he's forty seven I think forty seven yeah, years think old he's forty seven and, and I you mean, know some of this competition is just stiff yeah stiff and it would make for such a great story if he won this one you know because of everything because of 06, because of the career grand slam I'm actually watching the YouTube video you can watch it on YouTube 2006 U S Open Phil Mickelson's 18th hole final round it's just this it's a they 15 minute video and it just takes you through Phil's entire hole. Uh, As I'm watching, I just feel so bad for him. I'm watching his facial reactions. He just looks beat up emotionally, but uh, it would make for a great story if he came out and won it here. Yeah. For sure. Well, running through some of these other ones here, I'm looking um, uh, Nick. It's at N D D D M V says uh, Tommy Fleetwood who, you know, sure. Again, he's another guy who's proven he could do it. I also like this one. Uh, uh, Darren Johnson says Xander Schauffele. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I would have been rewatching with nothing else to watch. I've been rewatching lots of golf on YouTube and rewatching even last year's Masters and seeing how he was right there in the hunt. You know, he was in there, you know, in the clubhouse at one point with the, I think the tie lead, you know, at, but as Tiger started to pour it on, mm -hmm. he kind of ran, Schauffele ran out of holes. You know, he needed more holes if he wanted to, uh, to, uh, you know, post a lower score, but I think he's somebody, um, uh, Martin Bateman, um, says, you know, one of the young guns are due Victor Hovland. They, yeah. We've talked a lot about the strength of field with the young guys uh, is tremendous. Um, however, I, I just don't know. I mean, experience wise, like a mental toughness. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get, you get up to these majors, but who knows, we've seen the opposite. We see what, when Spieth first came out of the gate and he was the young gun and he was just beating everybody and you know in, in these majors and stuff like that it's something to be said it can happen but i see justin thomas a lot um ryan donovan says rory mcelroy 
which of course, how can you ever count Rory out? Rory posted a video the other day of a little bit of a range sesh. Uh, for all these guys, it's been the, the longest that they've been away from the game in a long time. Uh, so he was saying it was his first swing since quarantine and uh, his swing looked good, man, no matter what. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm laughing ear to ear because I just got a message from Scott McCarron. I'm going to read in a sec. He just <laughs> tweeted at me and I, <laughs> I read it out loud on the show. <laughs> but um, what else we got? I mean, that's pretty much sums it all up here. Yeah, that sums up. I mean, it's a long, like it's a long way out, but you guys can still get your picks in. And I've been enjoying this too. You know, for anybody who didn't get into the Twitter tap in segment, a lot of you have been commenting uh, your answers below. So do that, you know, still throw them in there. I still love to hear what everybody thinks. Um, and we'll talk a lot more about the open, the U S open when it gets a little bit closer, but I, I definitely, uh, it was great hearing some of those uh, kind of like, you know, early, early picks to win. Um, and, and just, if nothing else, it just makes me so excited for golf to be back. You're seeing these names, you know, yeah, I, I'd much rather be seeing Kepka, you know, teeing off than getting a haircut, but for now I'll take what I can get. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. All right. You want to tell us what Scott said? Yeah. So I, I just, it's funny because I just got this email from FedEx saying your shipment to Scott McCarron has been delivered. I'm like, all right, cool. So if you don't know, he came on the show, he had to come on twice because the first time the audio didn't record, we felt really bad. So to thank him for coming on, we just sent him this nice little swag bag of a bunch of Golficity gear. And I saw the email and then I look over and I see tweet message, direct message from Scott McCarron. He says, Hey, Michael and everyone at the Golficity team, thanks for the swag. I just lost my favorite hoodie sweatshirt and boom, got a new one. Thanks so much. <laughs> it's great how life works, huh? Perfect timing. Yeah, perfect timing. So thank you, Scott, again, for coming on the show. We had a great time. Yeah, with you, so. such a good de- dude. I mean, that was one of the hardest phone calls we or text, whatever it was we had to make when like after we had this guy on and you guys know these interviews are about 30 minutes long and then something just didn't work. We had done everything too. We, we test recorded. We made sure everything was working. You know, we weren't, we weren't phoning it in guys. We've been doing this for a long time and just something with the software failed. And, uh, we had our voices, but not his. And <laughs> we kept putting that podcast out. Let you guys guess his answers. Yeah. Right. Yeah, just right. guess. guess so, what said. so he was kind <laughs> enough to get back on the show a couple of weeks later and a couple of days later. And uh, for that, we are forever grateful. Um, All right. What do you say we do a word from our sponsors? And then I want to dive into what today's instructional topic is going to be is something that both of us have struggled with in opposite ways and are going to continue to work on. In fact, we had lined up some great videos we wanted to do around this topic, working with some top instructors like Michael Breed and Kevin Sprecher. Um, And unfortunately, those were both scheduled for right when this lockdown happened, but don't worry, we're going to do it. So if this is a topic that you know, you're know you struggling with too, with something with attack angle, stay tuned because what we talk about here, we're going to only expand upon as we dive deeper into it. But Mike, what do you say we do a word from our sponsor and then we'll talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. So big thanks to Shotscope for sponsoring the podcast. Um, check Guys, check them out. Go to shotscope.com slash golficity. What is it? What is the Shotscope? Some of you may be new to the show, but some of you may have been hearing us talk about it for two years. And, and the reason why is, is we love it. We love the product. It's the world's smartest golf watch. It has laser-like GPS. We've tested it. You know, GPS is pretty darn good on it and stat tracking. And that's the main feature. And the stat tracking is built right into the watch. Um, and it really impresses me because 
you know, you basically you put these nubs into your clubs when you first get it, and then you go out and you play golf, and it'll record your shots. You know, at distance, uh, fairways hit, uh, greens and regulation, you name it, any stat you could possibly think of, even proximity to the hole. You know, with their pin collect feature uh, on the green, so all great stuff. You're able to go and analyze your golf game right in their dashboard, very user friendly dashboard, right after the round. Simple to use. Um, if you want to learn about, you know, a lot about your golf game. Uh, and get a really good GPS device out of it for $119. I can't believe the price is still that low. It's incredible. Go check out the V2 by visiting shotscope.com slash golficity and get yourself one for the minute we step out of this isolation and you get back on the course, you'll have yourself something really nice at a really great price point there. So definitely check it out. Yep. Um, also, Frank, want to uh, thank FootJoy. Guys, take your game to the max this spring. Once we get back out on the course, you know, with the new FootJoy uh, Torx golf shoe, it's like my new favorite shoe that I got from FootJoy. Haven't even worn it yet because we can't, and I can't wait. Uh, I put it on, walked around the house with it. I even said that I've, I've used it on turf. I've walked around on turf, and I've swung on turf mats with it um, just to kind of get the idea of how they feel. I've done that with all the shoes that come in, even the, even the more um, relaxed ones that you would wear to like a dinner party, like the Flex LEs, those things, and the and the, the, the other Flexes. But anyway, the Torx delivers max stability max control max comfort and they have these launch pods nine launch pods to be exact for max stability that you can launch it past your golf buddies i mean it doesn't sacrifice on comfort the tour x it wraps your foot with these cozy ortho light impression fit beds and what's cool about these shoes around the collar and we experience a lot of this when we walk frank that your your heel can be rubbing up against a shoe but they have these foam collars around the heel they ensure max in shoe comfort for that support so you don't have to worry about getting blisters on your heels things like that so you're going to feel good you're not going to get any you know blisters and things and you're going to play well so you're getting everything all in one one shoe and that's why guys on tour like kisner and rafa they're all experience max performance uh the same way that you can so you could check it out torx visit footjoy.com and check out and get yourself a pair today for sure so let's let's talk a little bit about attack angle and like i said this is something that's been a very interesting conundrum for you and i because we struggle with it in two different ways now the other thing i will say when i say struggle with it there's always room for improvement but also there's this caveat of understanding that every golfer is different every golfer has a unique golf swing uh, and there are many different ways to kind of get the results that you want to get so you don't necessarily need to make huge changes. If anything, maybe subtle changes, maybe just maybe just improving a little bit upon certain areas can can end up having the effect you want in your score. And what I mean by that is if your attack angle is you don't necessarily need to change it completely. There's ways you can work within it because we all know if you try to tear down your golf swing and rebuild the whole thing, there's a lot of issues that go along with that. And we just talked about that in a previous episode where we talked about, you know, how to know if it's really time to change your golf swing, because there's things you're going to have to put up with, with that. There's going to be growing pains. There's going to be, um, an extended period of time where you're going to need to, uh, put your scoring aside and just realize you're just working on something and you're not really performing at that point because it, it does right. take time. Um, so that being said, Understanding that attack angle is another one of those kind of fundamentals of of, of scoring and, and of the swing itself. Um, and as part of that, you just kind of understanding the basic physics of it is, I think, is a good starting point. I think once you conceptualize, at least it worked for me, once I conceptualize the physics, because there's this kind of this backwards thing in, in golf where 
if you didn't know anything about the game, you kind of assume that you needed to lift the ball into the air. And that's why you see a lot of very beginner golfers flipping the golf club and things like that, because you feel like you need to hit up on it. But the reality of the physics is the way it works, at least with most clubs. We're going to talk about how there's some differences there. But at least with most clubs, let's take a seven iron, for example, right in the middle of your bag. As you hit down on that ball, the, the downward attack angle, the ball itself is going to then roll up the face because the ball, the, the, the club face is coming down onto that ball, causing it to just kind of slide and roll up the face, creating backspin, which eventually creates lift. And that's where it goes up in the air. So that's an important thing to understand. If you can understand that concept, it'll, it'll make things a little bit easier of understanding the why of what you're doing. Um, but the attack angle, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll just hear, you know, you'll hear it referred to as attack angle. If you, if you've had a, either a fitting or a lesson that involves some sort of, um, launch monitor, you're most likely seeing that attack angle pop up on the screen, depending on what you're working on, your, your, your instructor may or may not point it out. But if you do see it, at least you understand that that's what's being measuring. And what it's measuring is that angle of attack. So if you come down onto that ball and you're hitting down onto the ball, obviously you're going to have that downward attack angle and vice versa. If you're hitting up on the ball, you're going to have an upward attack angle. And where there's that can be good in different areas is with the driver, we are actually, we are, our goal is, is an upward attack angle. Now, not a dramatic one, but still hitting up because with a driver, we're not relying on loft. We're relying on, um, we're to get to the, get that ball, you know, cause there's also the, um, the launch angle. So there's attacking a launch angle. launch angle is the, the angle that the ball actually takes off at what angle to get that higher launch angle. A bit of it is hitting up on the ball with a driver, whereas mm-hmm. with other clubs, you're hitting down on it. So your steepest downward angle is going to be your wedges, um, because also downward attack angle, like I said, creates that backspin. And where do you want your most backspin is on your wedges, things like that, where you need that stopping power. So, I mean, effectively that makes sense so far, right, Mike? It definitely does. And I'm thinking about how negative is my attack angle? I mean, I got, I'm in the negative numbers, right? You definitely have a downward attack angle. Um, Mm -hmm. we talk about you being steep and we'll talk about more about that in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, yours though, though the down attack angle is good with most of the clubs, but you have effectively also had a downward attack angle with your driver, which I know is something right. that you struggle with, which is why we joke in the videos and we have you do push-ups like Kevin Sprecker, you know, has you do, but you, you actually have a downward attack angle with your driver. So mm. that's why your driver flight is a little bit lower and relies a little bit more on some spin to, to get up in the air. You actually are creating some backspin. Um, because you're still hitting down with it. There's not grooves, you know, on a driver face. So you're not able to create a ton of backspin, which is a good thing. You don't want a lot of spin in your driver. Um, but yeah, so you're, that's one thing with you is that you, you tend to uh, hit down on it a little bit. Um, yeah, that's something I have to try to work on this this season is trying to get a, a change my attack angle on the driver. And I've worked with some people in the past that tried to teach me ways. And we've even seen like Molinari on the range doing the thing where he like jumps up at the end and, tr- you know, tries to swing more up than down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally when I used to go for lessons like way back when I used to go to like golf tech and stuff and they put me on the on the machine, they were like, wow, well, you're hitting down on this ball. You're hitting down on your drivers. Like, we need to fix this right away. Yeah. And that's the one thing that the opposite, you do great. You hit nice and up on it. You tee it high and you let it fly. And I can't do that. But well, that's uh, that's yeah. the thing that we both struggle with is that neither one of us right now is adept at 
switching where we need to switch. So what I mean by that is we need to be hitting up with our driver and down with the rest of the clubs. You hit down with every club in the bag. I hit up with every club in the bag. Right. You know, which kind of, <laughs> it leads me to the next thing. And, and that's something, like I said, if you guys, if this is something, this is something that we've talked about this before. If you guys are new to the show, we're not instructors. We're not professional golfers. We're guys who are learning the game and kind of talking about that here to hopefully help some other people who are struggling with similar issues. So while we're talking about what we've learned so far here, there's still a lot more to learn. And we're, we're, we're honest about the fact that we're still struggling with it. So if it's something that you, like I said, are identifying with, stay tuned because we're going to be doing more of this, especially from a visual medium where we still plan to have those lessons and show you guys a little bit more about how we continue to work on this. But like I said, the understanding has to come first. So that, that, that begs the question, why does attack angle matter? And a big part of it does have to do with that spin. So for example, I come at the ball very shallow. I hit up on the ball well with my driver. It works well for me. Uh, looking at my numbers, although my swing speed isn't as much as fast as yours, Mike, we've talked about how mine is, it, it actually conveys that power a little bit more efficiently because I'm hitting up on the ball. So, you know, that's a good thing. But with the rest of my clubs, I come through pretty shallow. So what that means is with a lot of my irons, you don't see me taking a very big divot. I'm just kind of skimming along the ground. Even with some of those high irons, like a three, a four, a five iron, if you look, if you put me on a trackman and stuff, you'll see that I'm I'm hitting up a little bit where I should be hitting down. Some I have like just a kind of a zero attack angle, almost just like sweeping the grass because I always thought that's what you had to do. You had to sweep, right? So I've kind of like designed my mechanics around that. And then now I'm starting to finally, as I dig in and become a better golfer, I'm starting to realize why that creates a problem for me. And mm. part of why that creates a problem is because I'm not hitting down on a downward attack angle enough, I'm not generating a whole lot of backspin. And as as part of that, I can't rely on the backspin to, to for be my stopping power on the green. And where I learned this a little bit more was in our, our ball fitting that we did uh, last year at TPC River Highlands. They took one look at it and they're like, you've got a nice high ball flight. That's one thing I do have working for me. I've got a nice high ball flight. So like you're relying a lot more on your height for your stopping power than your spin. So if I'm getting that ball up nice and high, it's it's stopping because it's coming down steeper mm -hmm. versus somebody who doesn't quite hit it as high and they've got a little bit more spin. So the reason I bring that up is because I'm saying, again, not tearing down your whole golf swing. There are still certain ways you can make things work without changing too dramatically. So for myself, I'm never going to have a downward attack angle as, as dramatic as yours, Mike. You know, where you're generating right. a ton of spin. But if I could change a few things, I could come at it a little bit more steep on my attack angle and get a little bit more spin and rely a little bit less on height. Because when you one area where I learned real fast that you can't rely on height is playing in the wind. And I learned that real quick when we went over to Scotland. Oh yeah. And all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I, I was I remember we, we were picking the brain of of um Gavin Deere, who we had on the show recently, who is a tremendous golfer. If you want to see just how good he is, just Google his name and you'll realize, you know, Gavin Deere golf, you'll realize there's a, quite a few articles about, out there about him when he was an up and coming golfer. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, you know, we got a par three, like directly into the wind. And he's usually a club or two better than me in distance anyway. But he's mm. suggesting a club that's only like a one club difference from him, 
or, or, or something that no, it was a two club distance or something, some, something dramatic. It raised some, my eyebrows. I'm like, what's up here? He goes, you hit the ball a lot higher. You're going to need a lot more club in this. I remember this I, hole, right? London links. Yeah. Yes. So mm-hmm. this is what I mean. Like stuff like this is like where, yes, I can rely on my height to make up for my lack of spin that comes from this shallow attack angle. But if I really want to excel my game and be able to use it in different scenarios and different weather conditions, this is where a bit of improvement is going to help. Am I going to tear down my whole golf swing over it? Absolutely not because I, you know, it works for me a lot of the time, but by just tweaking it a little bit, it can help. So that's, that's one thing I wanted to make sure we understand, uh, you know, vice versa to a downward, if you get too down, you can have some of the stuff like where you're losing out on a little bit of distance with your driver, like you have in that case, where if you hit up mm-hmm. a little bit or whatever it may be, it can create some problems too. So first it's like, all right, how do I, you, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, all right, you guys have a pretty firm grasp on, on what your issue is, but how do I determine what mine is? Of course you can get in there on a launch monitor. And you'll see it. You'll see the numbers right in front of your face. But the kind of easiest, fastest, and cheapest way to determine it is just take a look at your divots. Divots don't lie. Now try they to, don't. and they don't. And if anybody knows this, it's Mike. But try to assess it on a level plane in a f- nice shot in the fairway. Uh, obviously, your divot pattern can be dramatically changed if if you have a different lie uphill, downhill, side hill, whatever. But in a nice straight, straight, you know, flat lie. If you take that full swing, you know, use a wedge, for example, and look at it. What kind of divot did you create? Is it a huge hunk of dirt, you know, that's going flying, or are you just barely cutting the grass? you know, where you just see a little bit of grass clippings. Those would be your two opposite extremes. If you're coming in there very steep, you're going to take that really big divot. If you're coming in there super shallow, you might just be like I said, giving the grass a haircut. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's going to kind of determine, that's going to show you. Now, of course, there's also lots that goes into this, like where that divot happens. Of course, your divot should be made after contact. If it's before, that's, you know, we're hitting it fat. That's a whole different story. You know, obviously it's a steep attack angle, but it's it's steep in the wrong spot. But this is something that at least will give you guys an idea and a picture of, of where, you know, where things are. I and mean, that's it's a great rule of thumb. Um, obviously, this is not something 99% of the population can learn from their driver, because we don't make a divot unless we're hint, hint, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> hint, 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 hint. I've seen it. I've seen other people do it too. You have. It out there. Okay. All right. <laughs> not often, but yeah. I've seen it. When I see it, I'm like, part of me goes, all right. All yeah. Right. We're I'm okay. not the only one. Right. I'm not so the only idiot out here. Go here's ahead. where you're, 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 if it's with a driver and you're somehow taking a divot, like Mike, you're identifying an extreme. On the other side of it, though, for most people, you're not going to be able to really identify what your angle of attack is with a driver without the help of some sort of launch monitor. And like I said, the good news is, is those are becoming much and more much more accessible. Uh, obviously, you're not spending twenty thousand dollars on your own launch monitor, but you can get into a place that ha- that's equipped with them. Uh, you know, a fitting location, a uh, instructor, whatever. And with a driver, that is going to tell you what your angle of attack is with driver. But anything else, any of the other clubs in your bag, you're going to be able to to get a real good picture of it um, with just looking at that divot pattern. 
so the next thing it comes down to is like, all right, so I got this issue. Like, how do I, how do I fix it? Um, and I'd say start simple. One thing that I've been working on is just ball position. Uh, again, trying to get away from this idea of tearing the whole swing down. And there, again, we're going to get into this more as we go through the lessons and we try to disseminate what, what we did. Uh, again, if nothing else, you'll get a good picture of opposites from me being shallow and Mike being steep opposites and and what type of opposite things you need to work on to make it work. But just altering your ball position, which is what I've kind of done. It's an easier change. It's not an easy change. I'm not going to label it that because you get used to seeing a ball in a certain spot. You know, it can be tough to hit it if you move it around too much, but we're only talking about like a half, you know, a half a turn of the ball, you know, like small little things. But if you notice like myself, that you're very shallow, the first thing to try, just move that ball back just a little bit in your stance. So rather than changing anything with your swing, by just changing where the ball is, you're, and remember that moment of impact is such a small little part of that swing. That can be a, a dramatic difference in, in the attack angle just by moving it. So if, if, if I'm hitting with, you know, with my seven iron, let's say if I'm hitting up a little bit on that ball, by just moving that ball back and moving out where I you know, making it closer to where I bottom out the club, I could be changing that attack angle. So that's been a big thing I've been working on. Um, and then another one is balance. Balance is a big key too. Um, we talked about this extensively in a previous episode, balance between the left and right foot and the percentage of weight. If you are too much on your back foot, is a good chance that you're hitting up on the ball. So I've been trying to shift my weight more towards my, my front foot, my lead foot. To work on that. Okay. And the other mm-hmm. thing that I've been working on, and again, I'll find out more of this when we get into our lessons. A lot of this is just kind of trial and error experimentation that I've been doing. But my lead hand, my left hand, trying to keep that a little bit more rigid because I do sometimes tend to cup, which is which is a uh it's it's a common thing, a common symptom with flipping. And I this happens to me often in the short game. So I was out in my backyard just yesterday. It was it was actually nice. It was yeah, 60 it was degrees for a couple mm-hmm. hours. So as my kids were running around playing and I was watching them do their thing, because you know, daddy daycare right now with everything closed, mm-hmm. I just kind of grabbed one of my wedges and I was just off to the side, just taking small swings and just working on keeping that lead wrist kind of rigid. And it really did help. And this is a this is a drill we talked about recently about taking just left-handed swings, lead hand swings. And and by doing that, it gave me the feel that I needed to keep that rigid. And I found, this worked for me anyway, my attack angle was coming in steeper. And I could tell that by the divots that I was making in my yard. Oh, that's good. Because mm-hmm. who, who cares at this point, right? Dig right. up the yard, whatever. Dig up the yard. Right. So I could tell that by keeping that lead wrist a little straight and not cupping, because cupping will immediately lift that thing up and changes that attack angle. So I, I, it was working for me. So it's something I want to explore deeper. But I've been working on, for me, as shallow attack, keeping more of my, my weight to the left and then and keeping that left wrist a little straighter, and it's been working. So if you, But on the opposite, if you're coming in too steep, you might have too much of your weight shifted forward, and you might want to work on rebalancing. Balance is just so key. It's yeah, so key. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, um, what did I, I wanted to add something there. I, I think I'm, 
I think I'm drawing a blank. You were talking about, uh, yeah, it'll come back to me. Keep going. Okay. So what it does lead into, like I said, I was practicing a lot on the short game. Mm. Attack angle does come in on that short game. Uh, So if you're thinking about it just on full swing shots, you know, you need to expand upon that and think about it as well in the short game. And especially, you know, who doesn't want that chip shot? that like has that nice low spin and just checks up right away. Yeah. And and that is done by backspin. And if you are hitting up on those shots and lifting them in the air, you're not creating that backspin. Remember the physics. The backspin is created as you hit down on that ball and the ball rolls up the face, grips those grooves. We talked about the importance of, you know, fresh wedges and all that type of stuff. Grips it, creates that spin, and then, you know, you're able to stop it. So, when you do need to get more aggressive, this could be on a chip shot. It could be on a 50-yard wedge shot where you you want to keep it, you know, a nice wedge shot is a nice low flight that has that spin and it can stop. You you got to use your attack angle to create that spin. So that's something, that, like I said, I've been working on. I've been working on it with that, uh, that tour striker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it kind of helps me with that. And any type of <clears throat> feedback you can get into your swing. Um, but... Remember, if you want to create that spin that not only looks great, but also performs the way you want it to do, it really comes down to getting that nice attack angle. So if you're shallow like me, if you're coming in it too shallow, you're, you're most likely not creating that spin. You need to, to focus on this attack angle and, and work on. And the nice part is those shorter shots, those now full swing shots, not full speed shots, it is a little bit easier because you're able to to kind of concentrate on those things a little bit more than with a full speed shot because things are moving a little bit slower. So I've yes. been really kind of focusing on that. Absolutely. And you just reminded me of what I was going to say when we were talking about spin back because um, wait, do you remember when we did that that groove wear video up at Manchester Lane? I think I actually, with the wedge, I think I got five figures of RPM on my spin. I think there was a, <laughs> one that was like 10,000 or something. Yeah. But you know what? It, I, I know that there's a lot of times in these 100-yard shots, and shout out to David Bushy in the uh, Golf Podcast Facebook group. He puts out a cool photo the other day, and he, he's just like a, a picture of a, an approach shot. And he says, 100 yards from the pin, no win. What are you going with? And my response was, um, I forgot where it is here. I said, I'm going with a 56 degree, which I play to about 110 and to pull it back about 10 yards on a string. And, I've, and I, I know now that I can, I'm generating that spin back. So I'm trying to use that as my advantage to like not try to get cute on these shots and and blow this this easy shot up, call it an easy shot, 100 yards to the pin. If I know that I got room behind, then I'm going to try to put the ball back. This is what the pros do. I mean, I'm not a pro, but, you right. know, just trying to hit my 110 shot, knowing I'm going to generate that speed because I'm steep. I mean, that spin mm-hmm. and I could pull it back a little bit, then try to hit it 100, which is going to require me to take some off it, change my swing a little, think completely differently because yeah. um, I don't have a 100 shot. I got a 110 club and I got like my 90 yard with my 60 degree. So, you know, knowing, I guess, angle and, and able to spin, I mean, I could see where that could be kind of helpful. 100%. Yep. And especially he, you know, he there indicated no wind, but if there was right. wind, even more so, like I would be in, in a bigger pickle there because a hundred yard shot with me not right now generating a ton of spin and relying more on height to stop the ball, no wind, fine. I'll pull out a, you know, a 52, a 54, whatever I'm gaming and I'll, I'll say it's a full swing shot, hundred yards going to go way up in the air and it's probably going to stop within a, within two feet of wherever it lands. Cause it's coming down right, like rain right. out of the sky. It's just like dropping straight down literally. Mm-hmm. Um, however, 
you introduce some wind and now I'm like, shoot, I'm in <laughs> trouble here, right? I yeah. can't, I, and that's where I want to learn this shot because then if I could say, okay, in the wind, I might hit, you know, a much lower spinning, you know, whatever it may be, 48 degree. And I'll be able to, to keep it under all that wind, all that trouble, and also still stop it rather than having it skip off the green. Right. So, you know, and you think really windy day, the greens are probably dried up quite a bit. They're probably fast. So that's where learning this type of thing can help. So if in my case, again, without rebuilding my swing, just by understanding how this works, all the things we just talked about, understanding the physics, I would say, all right, I'm going to try a couple things. One, I'm going to try to keep that ball a little bit further back than I might normally play it. I'm not saying like playing it off, you know, off my right foot, but just a little bit further back. And I'm going to try to keep a little bit more of my weighted impact forward and just see if that helps my attack angle. It's not going to all of a sudden give me the attack angle that Mike is generating, but it's going to give me something. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, might out. And then as I do, I just keep working on it, keep progressing with it. But uh, again, I just found it. I went back to the. Sorry, I had to go back to it. It was. It was almost eleven thousand RPMs. I'm back to the gro- wedge, the groove, uh, groove wear. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Oh my god. Yeah. So, oh. so that's it. And and look, I, what I liked about this topic, and another reason we wanted to cover it now, is we're trying to focus on stuff that you guys can work on at home because a lot of you are home right now, uh, and this is one of them. Like I said, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be full swings. You you get out there in your backyard, like I was doing chip some golf balls around because you can work on it with a short game. And then if you can start to get the feel that you want of the proper tackling with a short game, you can just start to dial it up and just use that feel for those full swing shots. You can also go out there and get some of those wiffle balls, you know, mm-hmm. and take, and, and a lot of those you can still kind of get a feel for and see the spin on them. You know, they, they sometimes a wiffle ball gets dramatic spin, but you know what I mean? You can at least see you're, you're generating it. So there's things that you can work on at home for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. So that's everything we have for you guys this week. You can get to the show notes by going to golfficity.com slash episode 321. Uh, you can chat about it with us in the comments. You can also talk about it in the Facebook group. Thank you again. Like we said, we've highlighted a few of our Facebook group uh, posts from the past week. Um, thank you for everyone who's in there contributing to the conversation. It's always fun to chat with you guys. So keep that coming. We're going to have some more instructional com- uh, content coming up. We are really fingers crossed here. We are... Fifth, well, about 16 days away from, as of right now, if they don't bump it back about when New York and New Jersey are supposed to start to reopen. And I'm hoping that means we get out there and we're, we're traveling into HQ a little bit more, less podcasts from home, more from, from the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, hang tight. And we're working on some great interviews for you guys too. So so stay tuned for that. If you guys haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever. And if you can leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. We love reading those and it really helps us to grow the show. Uh, that's everything we have for everybody. And we'll see you again next week. 